Well, thank you everybody for joining us. I am Father Chris Alar here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy on a sunny day in Stockbridge, Massachusetts um, for, as you saw on the title topic slide, uh, voting what the Catholic Church actually teaches in informing our consciences. This is a probably the most difficult talk. I've been up every night for, for a long time working on this, resourcing or researching. And um, all I can say at this point is let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you send the Holy Spirit down upon us to open our minds and our hearts to receive the grace and the illumination of conscience you wish to bestow. We ask that you open all of our minds and hearts to know the teaching of the church and the will of your will so that we can do that in all aspects of being faithful citizens. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm going to start by asking for your mercy. This is not an easy topic. Um, I am very much trying to be respectful of every one of you listening, because I realize all your views will differ. We're going to get into some very touchy topics. We're going to get into some very controversial topics. We're going to get into some very opinionated topics. Um, I asked that, Brother Mark asked if he should turn off the chat, and I, I said, no, please leave it on, because I think that that helps, but please let us be respectful uh, of each other, um, and opinions uh, done respectfully are good, but remember here, we have more than our opinions. We have the teaching of the church and the will of God. And that is what I think we need to most pray to open our heart to receive. This is a very serious issue. The future of the world is at stake. Um, we are within days of something that's going to change our history, not just in the United States, but around the world. This is probably the most significant election in our recent history, maybe if not American history. And so we ask all of you to at least respect and hear not what I have to say, but what the church has to say. Everything that I am going to be giving you today is church teaching. Everything that I'm going to tell you is given not from my opinion, even though I agree with it, so it is my opinion, but it doesn't come from me. <clears throat> it comes from the church. Now, I want to show you the second slide. These are just some of the resources that we're going to show on your screen that I use. These are all church documents. These are the ones that I quoted multiple times. There are also several resources that I only quoted once that I did not put on this list that I will mention um, specifically. So we have a very uh, thoroughly researched talk. Um, I, I've consulted all the church um, resources to give this to you today. 
So again, I hope and pray that you're open to not my opinion. I could, you could care less about my opinion, and so could I, but the church's opinion or the church's teaching we need to listen to. Now, the first thing that I always hear is, Father, stop being political. I get these texts and emails all the time. And on many things, you would be correct. Um, the question is, are Catholics and especially priests to be involved in politics? It depends. Let's look at our next slide. Here we see that classic example of the crossroads of religion and politics. This is a question that we're asked often. Now our own Marian community's constitution say that I am not to endorse a political candidate or political party, and I'm not going to do that today. But hopefully, if you open your mind and your heart to be formed in your conscience by the teaching of the church, your decision will be clear. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for or what political party to support. What I am going to tell you is what the church tells us we have to do to inform our consciences. All right. We Marians do not belong to a particular party. We belong to the party of Jesus Christ. This is in our constitutions. So, however, though, as priests, we do have an obligation per canon law and the catechism to promote the common good in society. So let's look at a quote right from the catechism. It is part of the church's mission to pass moral judgments, even in matters related to politics whenever the fundamental rights of man or the salvation of souls requires it. We are in that position this election. Let's not make mince out of this. Let's, let's face the reality. All right. There is a, one of the most important documents that I resourced or researched was what is called Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship from the USCCB. That is where I use a lot of the information I'm going to give you today. It was written in 2015 and renewed again in 2019. Again, forming consciences for faithful citizenship. So in that document, the bishops basically said that the bishops have a responsibility to hand on church moral and social teaching. And together with the priests, are to teach these moral principles to you as the Catholics to form your consciences correctly, to give you a moral guide on public dimensions and public decisions, which voting is one. All right. They said we are to encourage the faithful to carry out, quote, your responsibilities in the political life. And they said the priest is to help you do that. So no, I'm not being political. I'm doing my job when it relates, well, I should say not a job, it's not a job, my vocation when it relates to moral issues, all right? In fulfilling these responsibilities, the church leaders avoid endorsing or opposing candidates. So that's what I wanted to point out. Now, for Catholics, our participation in political parties or other groups to which we may belong should be influenced by our faith, not the other way around. This is what that document says. So we can continue with so many church documents. Um, um, Chaput, uh, uh, Archbishop Chaput said, in the role of the priest 
in public affairs. Listen to this. He said, it is the job of Catholics to change the thinking of politicians and their political leaders with the tools of our faith. Okay, but it is the job of priests to give people those tools to form Catholic lay people and to think as disciples of Christ. That's why I'm here today. So please, again, respect that, and we need to respect the teachings of the church. And this is what this document says, in matters and manners guided by the teaching of the church. All right, let's go to a quote by Pope Francis when asked this question, if politics should be involved in the church. Pope Francis said, if indeed the just ordering of society and of the state is a central responsibility of politics, the church cannot and must not remain on the sidelines in the fight for justice. Evangelii Gaudium in number 183. Very important. So let's go to our next slide. Here's the key. What does the church say? This is it. What does the church say? Okay. As Catholics, I'm going to give you church teaching. Uh, tons of documents that have gone through resources, catechism, um, encyclicals, and I'm going to try to summarize best for you, again, this church teaching, which says, as Catholics, our consciences need to be informed about candidates and political parties. The church says personal moral character. Now, this is very interesting. This will probably be where I get the first yellings from you guys on the comments, okay? <laughs> personal moral character is not unimportant. This is quoting from the church in the document uh, that we have um, uh, from the church. Quote, personal moral character is not unimportant as it obviously informs the candidate's appreciation of the moral dimension of public issues. But it is the stated commitment to public policy in keeping with the common good, which is the most significant factor. That comes from the document, Moral Duties of Voting. And what that is basically saying is yes, Moral character is not unimportant, it's important. But what is most important is what the candidate does in public policy, their voting record. Let me give you an example, and I'm gonna give you examples from both sides. I got a very scathing email that says, President Trump, he is only using pro-life as an advantage to get votes. And he's gonna vote pro-life only to get votes. Therefore, I absolutely can't vote for him. Okay, I appreciate that opinion. But here's the thing. His motive is between him and God. What you have to look at is what does he actually do when he casts a vote? When he nominates a Supreme Court justice? That's what you have to look at. So I'm not condoning any here bad moral character. We're going to get to that, trust me because there's a lot of moral character flaws in President Trump, we know this. But the, the, the moral guide for voting uh, that, that is very, very, very important, the moral duties of voting as the document, 
says that we don't look at necessarily, first and foremost, the moral character. We look at how they vote and what laws they support. Again, this is not my opinion. This is the church's opinion. All right. What makes up come the common good? Because it says here that the common good is influenced. Okay. It is stated commitment to policy and keeping with the common good is what you have to look at. So what makes up the common good? Father, we know this. The economy, health care, international peace, immigration. These are all things that make up the common good. Things like open border laws are, however, called good to some, but not good to others. So here's the thing. Some people see them as good. Some people see them as bad. They negotiate these things. They're open to debate. And how they are handled can even be done differently. Some politicians, and many might agree one way is good. Some may agree other ways are good. Here's the point. The way these things I just mentioned are debatable in how they are handled and can even be done differently. Many oppose statements in, in what's called the common good, favoring gun control or supporting the United Nations or having open borders. They say it's better to have firm, legalized immigration. Just do it legally. That's why they call these negotiable. Some people have different opinions. Some say these are, are, are goods. Some are say the way you fix it are not good. However, they are negotiable. These are all issues. Immigration, economy, healthcare, peace, environment. They're negotiable. But the church teaches what I'm about to show you on the next slide. Pope Benedict XVI emphasized there is something we call non-negotiable. Now let's put up the next slide. These non-negotiables came from Pope Benedict reinforcing forever church teaching that said certain issues are non-negotiable and are the heart of the common good. These are one. The protection of life at all stages from conception to natural death. Abortion, euthanasia, embryonic stem cell research, human cloning. These are non-negotiables. Two, the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman. And number three, preservation of religious liberty. These three things are the heart and soul of church teaching. And they're gonna lay the basis of the rest of this talk. Please keep an open mind and heart about this. We are not single issue voters, this is true. It says it in the church documents, but there are some more important or more priority than others. They are all important. But those that I just showed are the most important according to the teaching of the church, not Father Chris. Pope Benedict XVI said, these non-negotiables have fundamental and inalienable rights as referred to in the catechism number 1907. Their violation is an intrinsic evil which can never be justified ever, no matter what the motive is or what the circumstances are. Again, the dignity of human life, the sanctity of marriage, and the preservation of religious liberty. All other common goods, every other one, 
As I mentioned, immigration, the environment, healthcare, the economy are important, critically important. I am not saying that they should not be dealt with or fixed or improved, but they are negotiable. They don't involve a single moral good or solution. Don't believe me? The Catechism 1908-09 says this. They are dependent upon particular circumstances and have potentially different solutions. Unlike the non-negotiables, people of goodwill may disagree on how to achieve those goals. Now, back to the document, Moral Duties of Voting. Quote, how a candidate stands with respect to the non-negotiable common goods of life marriage and religious freedom is therefore the paramount test of worthiness to serve in public office. That statement says it all. In this regard, the platform of a particular candidate's party is also important because they influence the candidate. Now, many of you have written to me and said, Father, there are no worthy candidates. Let's look at our next slide. There are no worthy candidates. Sometimes it seems like a circus, doesn't it? It's crazy. Um, you know, watching um, the, the rudeness, I thought, of President Trump interrupting at times, uh, the ev evasiveness of Pres or, uh, Vice President Biden at times, I just, it just seemed like we need prayer. We need prayer. Now, Father Henry Davis said, it is the duty what do we do when we don't have what we would qualify as good candidates? Okay. Some of you might view both candidates as not good, and I'm going to lay into uh, further to show you what would verify one or either or both, none either or both, as viable for public office. Now, for those of you who say there's no worthy candidates, Father David Henry Davis said, it is the duty of all citizens who have the right to vote to actually vote when the common good of the state or the good of religion and morals require it. Okay, so while it may not always be morally required for you to vote, and we're going to talk about when those cases are, they're actually very rare, but it may not always be morally required to vote I think this year, if you look at the church teaching, it is a need to vote. But what if both candidates are unworthy, if this is your viewpoint, or have defects regarding your opinion? You have to start with the non-negotiables. What deems a candidate worthy or unworthy is the non-negotiables. The church teaches that one may vote for an imperfect candidate, Maybe you don't like the way that he handles uh, the economy, or you don't like the way that he handles peace talks in the Middle East. One may vote for an imperfect candidate in order to exclude an even greater opponent of life, marriage, and liberty. One can even be morally obligated to have to do this important. So we have to vote for those candidates that most uphold these non-negotiables, even if their motives in doing so are not pure, as I said before. That's between them and God. What you have to look at is what is their voting record. That's what you have to look at. One candidate may have a voting record in line with the Catholic faith, 
and values, except for, let's say, you know, hey, uh, they had all these great things in, in avoiding, um, you know, discord and peace and the way they handled uh, particular issues. But if one of those issues is from the non-negotiables, we can't vote for them. If they are, if they are for instance, uh, totally in favor and euthanasia has to be made law across the land or abortion, such a voting record according to the church, is a clear sign that a candidate cannot be chosen by Catholic voters unless other candidates having even worse voting records are all that is available. I hope this makes sense. Now, here's that question that I started to raise. Let's look at our next slide. Are we morally obligated to vote? Because a lot of people have said, I'm just not going to vote. If there is a viable option for a political candidate, we have the obligation to vote. Now, what makes them a viable option is not our opinions. What makes them a worthy candidate is not our opinions. You or me may have an opinion that somebody is unworthy, but what doesn't matter is our, our feelings. What matters is how they stand on the non-negotiables of the church teaching of the sanctity of marriage. Their first is the dignity of human life, second, the sanctity of marriage, and third, the preservation of religious liberty. This is what we have to look at. Let's look at our next slide. Do you have an obligation to vote? Catechism 2240. Submission to authority and the co-responsibility for the common good make it morally obligatory to pay taxes, to exercise the right to vote, and to defend one's country. Now, here's where we're going to get into do you have to vote. There are exceptions. So please, if you're already typing your comment, Father, Pope Benedict said, I'm getting there. <laughs> Yes, the catechism nowhere suggests that we should abstain from voting. In fact, we just read that we should vote. But the U.S. Bishop's 2019 statement on forming consciences for faithful citizenship, actually 2015, they renewed it in 2019, did put a disclaimer here. And I read the quote, when all candidates hold a position that promotes an intrinsically evil act, the conscientious voter faces a dilemma. The voter may decide to take the extraordinary step of not voting for any candidate. But before you say good, you need to hear what I say next. Not what I say, the church says. And I'm gonna put the famous quote that many of you have mailed to me and many of you have put on the comments that you're justifying not voting for a candidate you don't like, even though this candidate supports the non-negotiables. Here's what Pope Francis said. Very, this is the most important quote of the day. Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, said, A Catholic would be guilty of formal cooperation in evil, if they deliberately vote for a candidate precisely because of the candidate's permissive stand on abortion 
or euthanasia. So in other words, let's keep the slide up, but in other words, if you are particularly voting for them because they are in favor of abortion or euthanasia, you formally cooperated with evil. Well, Father, no, I, I'm not, I don't agree with that, but I still can't, I, I, I gotta vote for somebody else. Now let's read the rest of the quote. Adding that votes for that candidate for other reasons can be considered remote material cooperation, which can then be permitted in the presence of proportionate reasons. If you notice, I bolded proportionate reasons. So a lot of you, God bless you, we're happy to get your mail, are sending me letters saying, there is Pope Benedict, Father Chris, saying that I don't have to vote for the candidate that is pro-life in this ticket because of other reasons that I hold in, in my heart. What you have to realize is those have to be proportionate reasons. What does that mean? Let's go back to the moral duties of voting. A proportionate reason cannot be found by comparing goods from the two totally different mortal categories of negotiable versus non-negotiable. What do I mean by that? Proportionate means it has to come from another negotiable, excuse me, another non-negotiable category. Only the comparison of two candidates on their relative worthiness regarding the non-negotiables establishes a proportionate reason of the same moral goodness. In other words, if you're gonna point to Pope Benedict's quote and say, see, I don't have to vote for this pro-life candidate because it says if with for proportionate reasons I don't have to, your only other proportionate reasons are positions on the sanctity of marriage or religious liberty. Now the issue here that we have is I don't have to endorse a candidate, but what you have to look at is which candidate of the two supports pro-life, religious liberty, and the sanctity of marriage? You have to ask yourself that question. Please check the voting records. Please check the statements and the public history that we have of voting. Only then, and this is what Benedict said, so, so basically Benedict is saying this is not a license to vote simply on our own emotions or our own justification. For Catholics to conclude that the non-negotiables and negotiables are equal or comparable is condemned by the church. Let me rephrase that. To place the non-negotiables, the dignity of human life, the sanctity of marriage, and the preservation of religious liberty on the same par with the negotiables, such as the environment, such as the economy or healthcare, is condemned by the church. And this is what we have to understand. It can make what the church calls intrinsically evil justifiable. We can't do that. This view is so widespread, the church says, in society and even in the church, that it influences how citizens view their political choices. We can't do this. It was also condemned by John Paul II in his moral theology encyclical, Splendor of Truth, and it was condemned by Pope Benedict as moral relativism. Not all issues are the same. 
Am I saying those other issues are not important? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Catholics often hear that the argument that you can vote for a candidate who is pro-abortion if you are voting for them despite that position and not because of that position. You hear that again? Catholics often hear that you can vote for a candidate who is pro-abortion if you are voting for them even though you don't agree with it despite that and not because of it. The church says, hold on here. First, you can only do this if you are voting based on another proportionate issue, one of the non-negotiables. So if one candidate is pro-abortion, but he is so sanctity of life and so religious freedom, and the other candidate's the flip opposite, then you could justifiably switch your vote. You want them to have all three, but one is so sanctity of marriage and so religious liberty, even though he is slightly pro-abortion, and the other candidate is totally pro, is pro, more pro-life, but he has zero uh, tolerance for sanctity of marriage and religious liberty, you could then switch your vote. But you can't throw in issues other than those when you're talking proportionate. Does that mean, Father, that I cannot, I'm not, you're not saying that health care is not important? I, it depends on me for everything. Yes, it is. But how health care is handled and addressed is debatable. It's negotiable. The, the Health Care Act, the Affordable Care Act or not, it's negotiable. We don't know how the best way to fix it sometimes. But with those three of the dignity, human life, sanctity of marriage, and religious liberty, there is no room for error. Okay? Then... Pope Benedict says, when it comes to these other reasons, there are only three proportionate reasons to choose from when it comes for the preeminent. All right, then, second, a new Pew Research poll suggested that Catholics tend to change their views on abortion to match their votes so that their party ends up informing their morals more than the church does. That's a mistake. Please don't let that happen. Let the church form your morals. There's a great work by George Jay, which he calls, What is an Intrinsic Evil? Maybe this will help you to understand why those three things, why it is intrinsically evil to violate those three non-negotiables. The Catholic Church, he says, teaches a lot of things are intrinsically evil. Father, I can't believe you're only talking those three. Isn't, isn't racism intrinsically evil? Yes. Do you know masturbation is listed in the catechism as intrinsically evil? Do you know lying is listed in the catechism as intrinsically evil? Well, Father, then this candidate is guilty of those things, is guilty of lying. Yes. They are intrinsically evil, but here's the thing. They're not campaign voting issues. Yes, they're moral character issues, but remember what we said? What matters most, the church says, is how the vote is cast. You let God handle the judge of moral character. You need to look at, we all need to look at how the votes are placed and what the candidate stands for and the political party stands for. All right? Now, for instance, the church teaches a lot of things are intrinsically evil, 
but they're not campaign issues, okay? Rape is intrinsically evil, but no candidate is stepping up saying, I'm going to legalize rape. That's insanity. And so, so these campaign issues that may become allowed by law or not would then become an issue, but these are not. They're not the focus. Today's politics, some intrinsic evils have been legalized. Abortion. Why? What if a politician came to your door, knocked on your door, and said, I believe in legalizing gassing of the Jews and bringing back concentration camps. Picture this for a moment. If a candidate came to your desk and said, I want to redo concentration camps, concentration camps and gas Jews to death, what would you reply? Would you say, I would hope, that's not even open for debate. Would you say, well, we certainly don't want to be single-issue voters here. I don't agree with you on this point, that we should open concentration camps and gas Jewish, Jewish people, but tell me some of your other views on other issues, and then I'll weigh the whole package and consider voting for you. Would you do that? You wouldn't say that. Why? Because someone in favor of gassing Jews in concentration camps wouldn't merely be disturbed on one issue. They would probably be disturbed on everything because this person's whole outlook is distorted. It would have to be. The only reason we can't readily see this with abortion is because it's politically incorrect to do so. It's a politically correct intrinsic evil. As a Catholic, our job is to expose it. You know, I was just reading about a boyfriend who killed his girlfriend who was pregnant. He was convicted of double homicide. Now, wait a minute. How could we convict a guy of double homicide, which we should, he killed a girlfriend and the baby that she was pregnant with. Six months pregnant, so the baby wasn't even born. And was convicted of double homicide. How could we have that? And yet, not have homicide in the womb with abortion. We wouldn't even debate this kind of intrinsic evil of concentration camps gassing or the man killing his girlfriend and the baby. We wouldn't even debate this. Neither should it be open for debate to have legal abortion clinics in the sense of like concentration camps. You know, people have said, yes, Father, but there's more to pro-life than abortion, okay? Great question. What about war and capital punishment? Okay. Let's talk about war and capital punishment. I just got that letter last week. Father, you talk about abortion, you're being irresponsible because there's more to pro-life, such as war and capital punishment. Well, okay. They are life issues, but are they equal? 
Let's look at this. In our opinions and some of others' opinions, they may be, but the church says actually war and capital punishment aren't intrinsic evils. This is not my teaching. This is the church. Wait a minute, Father, what are you, crazy? No. War and Catholic or capital punishment, the churches are not intrinsic evils because there are times where they may need to be to protect the common good. They may be needed to protect the public good. The catechism says not only is war not an intrinsic evil, sometimes it might be a grave duty. I think back to talk about concentration camps, Hitler in World War II. The only way he was going to be stopped, his evil, was by military, self-defense. We had a duty to support the free world and freedom and protection. But when an abortion is done, it's not self-defense. It's premeditated murder of an innocent infant. What about capital punishment, Father? All life is important. Yes, it is. But the church says in capital punishment, it can be legitimately done if it is in the self-defense of society against a guilty aggressor. Now, granted, the popes have said these cases are very rare, almost non-existent today. This verdict is carried out by the government for the common good in self-defense when it's done right. So these issues, even though they are both about life, are not equal. Cardinal Ratzinger, quote, thus there may be a legitimate diversity of opinion among Catholics about waging war and applying the death penalty, but no diversity of opinion with regard to abortion and euthanasia. Let's go to our next slide. Of the non-negotiables, which issues or which issue is preeminent? All right. Because a person is not even allowed to be born, the church says nothing else matters, at least on the natural level. But all of these single issues that we want to talk about are other voting issues. As I've brought up, the environment or the economy, healthcare, immigration, they're all important. They depend on the first and most fundamental right, the right to life. You lose that right, all other rights fall. And we're seeing that happen. Our freedoms are being taken away. What about the fight for minimum wage? Well, that fight for minimum wage isn't gonna help somebody who's not alive. It is the taking of life, it is taking of life that is the most innocent and most defenseless that the church says is preeminent. If you vote the right to life, you are voting not just for one issue, but for all the rights and duties that depend on it and freedoms. John Paul II, in his encyclical, Evangelium Vitae, The Gospel of Life, he wrote in paragraph 101, quote, it is impossible to further the common good without acknowledging and defending first the right to life, upon which all the other inalienable rights of individuals are founded and from which they develop. 
Let's go to our next slide. This comes from that critical document called Forming Consciences by the USCCB, not from Father Chris. The threat of abortion remains our preeminent priority because it directly attacks life itself, because it takes place within the sanctuary of the family and because of the number of lives destroyed. At the same time, we cannot dismiss or ignore other serious threats to human life and they list several of them that are very, very important. These are not to be ignored. Horrible injustices, poverty, racism, these have to be fixed. But the church is saying none of those matter if the person can't be born. How to vote according to our Catholic faith by Bishop Donald Hying is another document I reference. And he said, the United States bishops have declared abortion as the preeminent moral issue because no other fundamental moral evil has destroyed more human lives. He said, there is no other evil extolled in either political party's platform or candidate's policy that matches a party or candidate's promotion of the intrinsic evil of the direct and deliberate taking of so many human lives, now nearly a million a year. All right. Why is this the preeminent issue? Because as I said, all other rights come from it. Poverty or economy or healthcare isn't gonna matter if you're not alive. But also due to the sheer number of deaths makes it preeminent. No other political issue even compares in the number of deaths. Now, we just experienced a lot of civil unrest over the last several months due to the police shootings. Horrid, horrendous, unethical, unmoral, intrinsically evil. But it was a fact that in 2019, and those Riots happened in the, in the unrest because of unarmed African-Americans being shot. Absolutely never an excuse, never justification, never, ever, ever can it be justified. But in 2019, there were 11 unarmed African-Americans that were shot and killed by police officers. Horrendous, unexcusable, unacceptable. In 2019, 22 people were executed in the United States by capital punishment. So when we look at abortion at the same time in 2019, killed over three quarters of a million people. So the church is saying either we compare what's killing three quarters of a million people or the others that are killing uh, uh, some, some other people, but yes, horrible, horrendous, never excusable. But we can't deny the fact both are wrong, but the sheer numbers of deaths are three quarters of a million from abortion. Nothing compares. So by the sheer number, it is the preeminent issue. In addition to the fundamental right. When Archbishop Nauman asked 
If the right to life was the preeminent issue, Pope Francis said, of course it is. He said it is the most fundamental right. This is not first a religious issue. It's a human rights issue. Those are the words of Pope Benedict. He said it is not first a religious issue. It is a human rights issue. So Father, why are you talking about this? It's a religious issue. Yes, it is. But it's not merely a religious issue. Nobody is trying to legislate in our government a law that says everybody must fast during Lent. Nobody is legislating a law that says you must attend Mass on Sunday in the civil government. That would be religious laws imposing religion on the people. Nobody's trying to do that. But there are religious issues that cross into human rights issues. When three quarters of a million people in 2019 were killed. These effects, this I should say, affect the betterment of the common good, even in secular society. Abortion hurts mothers, fathers, entire families. And the family is the bedrock of society. Nobody's accusing here. Nobody is pointing the finger saying, you're evil, you're bad. Humans are not evil. We are created ontologically good. Acts are evil. That's what we're trying to stop. So the question, let's look at our next slide. Is it really a choice? It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Is it a choice? A woman should have a choice, Father. A woman should have a choice. Well, in most cases, she already made her choice to become a mother. Now, sometimes it was not listed as a um, predicted, um, or she had a choice. Maybe there was an assault. But in most cases, the choice was made by the mother and the father. Now, there's a duty and a responsibility of the parents, especially when they together conceived. This mother now has duties and responsibilities. She has that natural love of that child. Sometimes it wasn't her fault that an abortion happened. I've known so many ladies who regret it and it hurt them, and, and they realize now the errors of their ways, but back then they were young or, or uninformed. Our job is to inform you. She has a natural love for her baby, so she'll be the one that ends up suffering in the long run that will be so hurt. We can't stop speaking of these things because they're politically incorrect. It's called the truth. It's called the truth. You know, statistically, the most dangerous place in the United States, you know, I'm from Detroit, and everybody says, Detroit? Yeah. I worked in downtown Detroit. I was an engineer. I used to be down there. I'd walk. Sometimes I was midnight. I'd work till midnight. I'd be walking along the river shore, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, downtown Detroit, all by myself. People say, you're crazy. It's dangerous. I never had a problem. 
Do you know the statistically the most dangerous place in the United States? The mother's womb. That's the most dangerous place. And we don't understand that sometimes. You know, twice as many people die every day in the United States by abortion than on September 11th. 2,000 versus 4,000. From the first century, at every stage of abortion has been condemned by the church. Abortion at every stage has been condemned by the church. That was even through, though we didn't understand what was happening biologically in the womb. Still, the church condemned it. Today, we know human life begins at fertilization. We know that. We have the scientific knowledge. So life in the womb must be protected. An unborn child is always an innocent party, and no law may permit the taking of innocent life. The Constitution says we have the right to life in the pursuit of happiness and happiness. We have that right. Even, this is, this is very controversial, even, even in the case when a child is conceived by assault or incest, the fault is not the child's. And the church says, as horrible as these situations are, the innocent child should not suffer death for other sins. That takes a lot for us to conform our will to God's will. That's why all choices need to involve an informed conscience. They need to involve your conscience. What is your conscience? All right. It's like an alarm warning you when you're about to do something wrong. That's what your conscience is. Now, it does not itself determine what is right or wrong. You do. You have to... You have to work um, to inform your conscience. So for your conscience to work, it has to be informed. That is, you must inform yourself about what is right and wrong. How do you do that, Father? Through the teachings of the church. You're listening right now, even though you might be angry. A well-formed conscience will never contradict Catholic moral teaching. Because it's the teaching of God. We seem today's day and age to think that we could be cafeteria Catholics. That we can pick just what we want to believe, and I totally disagree with this. That is the whole point of surrendering our will to the will of God. I want to get to heaven. You want to get to heaven. You know the number one thing? Do the will of God. Surrender our own will. That's what happened with Lucifer. He wouldn't surrender his own will. It's not easy. I'm not about here to tell you that I can do it myself every day. Every day when I do my examines, I realize Jesus is my will today, Lord. I'm sorry. A well-informed conscience will never contradict church moral teaching. For that reason, if you are unsure where your conscience is leading you when you are going to the ballot box, please place your trust in the church. She will guide you. It is important to consider how Catholics form their consciences properly through the lens of faith as they prepare to vote. This is a huge responsibility. 
The most sure and certain guide for forming your conscience before voting is provided by the church in scripture and tradition. Most of all, prayer. Are you praying? Are you praying for God to enlighten your conscience? Lord, this is my opinion. Yeah, I do it too. But are we honestly surrendering, Lord, what is your will that I do? Not just at the voting box, but every day. You know, the Catechism 1785 says, In the formation of conscience, the word of God is the light for our path. We must assimilate it in faith and prayer and put it into practice. We must also examine our conscience before the Lord's cross. We are assisted by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, aided by the wisdom, witness, I'm sorry, or advice of others. That's what you're receiving right now. I receive it too from Father Kaz. And guided by the authoritative teaching of the church. Catholics who fall, fail, I should say, to form their conscience in light of these teachings especially the moral teachings of the church, are in danger of serious errors. So what is the church saying there? If you fail to form your conscience in light of the teachings of the church, scripture, and tradition, especially moral teachings, you're in great danger of serious error. The best thing you could do is find out what the church does teach. And what does it say on how to vote? Now, again, we're not going to tell you who to vote for. You have to come to that conclusion. But what you are obligated to do is look at the candidates and the positions where they stand. Not necessarily how they say things or or when they say them or imprudence. But what is their position on those non-negotiables? So let's look at this. Next slide. How not to vote. This comes right from the church documents. Let's look at this. From this comes from the guide of, um, of, uh, for a voting guide for serious Catholics. Number one, do not just vote based on your political party affiliation, your earlier voting habits, or your family's voting tradition. I remember my grandma, God rest her soul. We used to, my dad used to argue with her all the time. She was a Democrat, he was a Republican. And he used to say, Mom, you know, Hitler could be running and you would still vote for him because your party affiliation is that tight. Don't forget to look at the individual candidates. Second, do not cast your vote based on candidates' appearance, personality, or media savvy. The document says some attractive and engaging candidates are sometimes the ones that endorse intrinsic evils. While ones and others may be plain looking or whatever, but uphold Christian principles. Next, number three. Do not vote for the candidates just because they declare themselves Catholic. There is a huge misconception and ads going on, and I'm sorry, But the fact remains based solely, not on my opinion, but on voting record, that Biden and Pelosi are faithful Catholics. 
They can't be, if nothing else but on the vote of abortion and their publicly announced position. Well, this commercial father said that Biden's a faithful Catholic. Well, if faithful Catholic is following the teaching of the church, the voting record says otherwise. You do not vote for candidates just because they declare themselves Catholic. Unfortunately, many self-described Catholics have rejected basic Catholic teaching. Do not for, do not choose among candidates based on what's in it for me. Make your decision based on which candidates seem most likely to promote the common good even if you will not benefit directly or immediately from their legislation. And then five, do not vote for candidates who are right on lesser issues, meaning the negotiables, but who will vote wrongly on the key moral issues, meaning the non-negotiables. Again, this is not my list. This is from the Catholic vote, uh, the Voter's Guide for serious Catholics. So the point they're making is don't make it personal. Sometimes we are tempted to vote reactively. If we feel offended, the document says basically, you know, and you, trust me, I think both candidates have offended people at one time or another. We want to use the church teaching to guide us, not our emotions. You know, if we are offended by a candidate we feel like we want to use our vote to show them our anger. Venting may be helpful, this is true, but the voting box is a bad place, this document says, to do it. It says, write the, the politician an angry letter, but when you're at the polls, it says, quote, vote for whichever candidate will most funnily serve justice to those born and unborn and best protect religious freedom, dignity of life, and sanctity of marriage for years to come. We are not voting to canonize a candidate. We are voting to give them temporary power to do some limited good. So let's go to the next slide. If that was how not to vote, the next slide is how to vote. For each office, first determine how each candidate stands on each issue that involves the non-negotiable moral principles. We can't stress this enough. Rank the candidates according to how their positions align with these non-negotiables. You have three big ones. Within dignity of life, you have other subcategories like euthanasia, embryonic stem cell research, human cloning, and abortion. So you rank where they stand in those non-negotiables. You give preference to candidates number three. Give preference to candidates who don't propose positions contradicting these principles. So if you have one candidate that is pro-abortion, pro-redefinition of marriage, and pro-removal of religious freedom, and you have another candidate that is not all three of those, that's the one you are to give preferential pre preference to. This is what the church teaches. I'm not endorsing or saying which candidate. I think you need to look at which candidate. Where every candidate endorses positions contrary to the non-negotiables, choose the candidate who likely will do least harm. 
So in other words, if both candidates are against all of these issues of the non-negotiables, you pick the one that is least harmful. That's number four. And number five, if these issues are equal, let's suppose they all have the same position, evaluate them then based on the negotiables. That's when the negotiables come into play. So we're not saying those negotiables are unimportant. They are very important. There are many important issues to consider when you go to vote that need to be addressed. Among them are those in Catholic teaching and natural moral law, as I said, the negotiables, poverty, economics, the death penalty, international peace, healthcare, environment, all of these, racism, all these are critically important. While these issues deserve attention and must be fixed, people of goodwill may disagree on best how to fix them. For instance, I got a letter on racism, whether or not we should pay restitution, the United States government should pay restitution to African Americans. Well, there's many people who will say yes, but there's many people who will say no. So which is the right one? There's no inherently right answer there. So that's where we have to look at how those issues need to be fixed, but they're made understood to be disagreement and the best way to address them, hence the name negotiables. Non-negotiable issues are different. Those are the ones that involve fundamental and inalienable rights related to unequivocal and universal moral truths, and there is no compromising. Absolutely because the human life is at stake. Does that mean that we have to not watch climate change because that could be all human life could be at stake? Absolutely we do. Absolutely. Environment, economy, all of those have to be. Please do not tell me that I'm not saying they aren't important. I'm just giving you the church teaching on what they call preeminent. That does not mean the others are not critically important. They are. So what is the Catholic approach? Forming consciences for faithful citizenship. This is our next slide. What is the Catholic approach? Well, we can turn right into it. The following slide is called the Catholic approach. One, form your conscience based on Christian moral principles. The church says this. In fact, the general secretary of the USCCB wrote a document called Catholics in Political Life, said we seek to form the consciences of our people so that they can examine the positions of candidates and make choices based on moral, Catholic, and social teaching. Very important. All right? Conscience is not something that allows us to justify doing whatever we want. This is what the document forming consciences for faithful citizenship tells us. Nor is it a mere feeling about what we should do or not do. Rather, conscience is the voice of God resounding in the human heart, revealing the truth to us and calling us to do what is good while shunning what is evil. All those other things, destroying the environment or healthcare or the economy or, or, or the way we treat other human beings is, is evil. I'm not saying it's not. 
But the human being must always obey the natural law that's put on the heart. And for us Catholics, we're given a special grace of giving it through the teaching of the church. And what the church says in the catechism 1790 is a human being must always obey the certain judgment of your conscience. If your conscience knows that taking life in the womb is wrong, you can't vote for a candidate that votes that way. If he were deliberately to act against his conscience, he would condemn himself. That's the catechism. The education of the conscience guarantees freedom and engenders peace of the heart. All right, that's number one. Number two, this leads us forming our conscience. So first we form our conscience. Number two, this leads us to be a better person. How are we a better person? We love our neighbor. When life is granted, we can treat better our neighbors. It breaks my heart when I hear the statistic that abortion in African-American communities is over 50%. Oh my goodness. I mean, this is a tragedy. We have to help. That's the best way we can help racism. Racism is horrible. There's never an excuse. But one of the best ways we can help racism is by stopping the 58% abortion rate in African-American communities and to help support them and to support those mothers and encourage them of the gift of the child. So two, this leads you to be a better person, one who loves your neighbor. Pope Francis said, quote, However, individual Catholics must get involved and embroiled in politics. <laughs> That's Pope Francis. You Catholics, he said, must get involved and embroiled in politics because it is one of the highest forms of charity, seeking the common good and love of neighbor. Back to the faithful citizenship document. It says, we are called to bring together our principles and our political choices our values and our votes to help build a civilization of truth and of love. Finally, on this number, back to the Forming Conscience document, paragraph 22, there are many things we must never do as individuals or a society because they are always incompatible with love of God and neighbor. Such actions are so deeply flawed that they are always opposed to the authentic good of persons they are called intrinsically evil actions. That's what this is about. So when we become and we stop the intrinsic evils, we can love our neighbor better. That's number two. Then three, this leads the basics or becomes the basics for being a better citizen. So how do we become a better citizen? Let's go to Pope Francis, Evangelii Gaudium, and number 220. In the church tradition, responsible citizenship is a virtue and participation in political life is a moral obligation. So please, Father, why are you talking on politics? That's why. Because abortion is not just a religious issue, it's a social justice human rights issue. He said, quote, people in every nation embrace the social dimension of their lives by acting as committed 
and responsible citizens. The, the obligation to participate in political life is rooted in our baptismal, baptismal commitment to follow Jesus Christ and to bear Christian witness in all we do. God bless all of you. And if you're mad at me, I'm just going to say, I'm following the church teaching saying, I have an obligation to participate in the political life, although I do not endorse a candidate or a political party that is rooted in my baptismal commitment, baptismal commitment to follow Jesus Christ and to bear Christian witness. So finally on that, paragraph 14 in that same document, as citizens, we should be guided more by our moral convictions than by our attachment to a political party or interest group. I think that's good advice. And then finally, number four, once we inform our conscience, number one, become better people and love our brother because of it, number two, then we become better citizens, number three, then the goal is to now go cast that vote. So number four, this leads you to cast an informed vote, a vote in line with church teaching. Let's go back to our forming conscience document, quote, this document has always stressed that the role of priests and religious, now please listen to this one before you mail me, email me. The role of priests and religious is to help people weigh church teaching, their individual conscience, and the various pros and cons of each candidate before voting. Now, if you read that, that almost sounds like I should be telling you who to vote for. But I'm not. What I'm telling you is what issues to vote for so that you can get to heaven and so that I can get to heaven. I'm sorry if you're angry with me. And as much as I love each and every one of you and I try to respond to each and every one of you, I'm not going to go to hell for not teaching the truth because of you or you being upset. I need to love you and I will. And anybody who writes to me or comes visits me I want to do whatever I can to help you. Why do you think I was up every night this week past midnight preparing this talk? There's no gain in this. We're not selling anything. We're not tied to any political party. We're tied to the party of Christ. That's why I'm doing this. Because I want to go to heaven. I want you to go to heaven. I want to bring souls to Jesus Christ. That is my role as a priest. And sometimes it does cross over into politics. When politics involves a human life. Please understand that. Remember, we are Catholics first, Americans second, and Republicans or Democrats a distant third. Now, I'm not the only one who is preaching this. In fact, there are some much stronger than me much more influential than me. Let me just read you a couple of them. A couple quotes. This one is from Bishop Paprocki from 2012, and a great bishop. Quote, Again, I am not telling you which party or which candidates to vote for or against, but I am saying that you will need to think and pray very carefully about your vote, because a vote for a candidate who promotes actions or behaviors that are intrinsically evil and gravely sinful makes you morally complicit 
and places the eternal salvation of your own soul in serious jeopardy. Other bishops have said the same thing about our salvation, depending upon it. Bishop Michael Sheridan, Bishop David Ricken, Bishop Samuel Aquila, many of them. Let's go to our next slide. This is back to the same document of forming our conscience. Paragraph 38. The decisions we make on these political and moral issues affect not only the general peace and prosperity of society at large, but also may affect each individual's salvation. There was a comment written to me on YouTube that said, how dare I be so condescending to use salvation as a tool for my own purposes. I would just like to say, I'm a priest. Your salvation is my task before God. And if there's something that is putting your or my salvation at risk, it is my duty to tell you. Remember the scripture passage. The scripture passage said, if somebody is in grave error and you do not tell them, I will hold you responsible. That's scary to me. And they, in, in other words, if you tell them, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. If there's somebody in grave sin and you tell them and they do not change their ways, I will not hold you responsible. But if you don't tell them, I hold you responsible. So I have two choices. If somebody is thinking that abortion is just another topic and should not be preeminent or priority, and that's a grave error, and I don't tell you, God holds me accountable, especially as a priest. But if I tell you and you still don't do it, he holds you accountable. Now, I'm not saying that as imposing my will. It's out of love. Nothing is more important than you getting to heaven. Me too. You know, I use the example of a loving mother who, little baby, she's watching her baby all day long, her little toddler, and she turns her back for two minutes, literally two minutes on the toddler, and a mother comes running from next door, screaming, Junior's in the road. And the mother goes racing out there and she sees Junior playing in the road, very dangerous what Junior's doing. But does the mother look at Junior and look back at the neighbor and say, well, it's really not right for me or politically correct for me to say anything to Junior. He made that choice to go out there. No. The mother would grab that little child, yank him out of the road, and the child would say, why, mom? And you would say, because you might get hurt. You might get hurt. And I don't want you hurt. This is what we have to understand about the gift of love. It's a moral, you know, the, the, the works of mercy are to admonish the sinner and instruct the ignorant. And so it is a work of mercy to say it is wrong if we are voting for pro-abortion and then to instruct the ignorant as to why. Not ignorant being condescending, please. I'm sure I'll get letters about that. 
It's not to be condescending. It's just it's a term the church uses, meaning uninformed. That's why this whole talk is being about being informed. Listen to what Bishop Robert Finn of Kansas City, St. Joseph said in 2008. I just don't think there's any question that in all of church teaching, that the life issues, particularly the protection of unborn children against the crime of abortion, has to be our greatest priority. This is an ongoing killing of more than 4,000 children every single day for the last 35 years. And if we don't do anything about it, we bear a lot of responsibility. If we support and promote persons who pledge to extend it and intensify it, then we bear a great responsibility with them. And then finally, Bishop Daniel Jenke of Peoria, Illinois. Today, Catholic politicians, bureaucrats, and the elected electoral supporters who callously enable the destruction of innocent human life in the womb also thereby reject, reject Jesus as their Lord. They are objectively guilty of grave sin. Now, that does not mean subjectively. There could be other issues there, but objectively. For those who hope for salvation, no political loyalty can ever take precedence over loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his gospel of life. God bless you, Bishop Jenke. Finally, I want to finish with a very powerful tool, and I'm sorry I ran out of time. I wanted to talk about examination of conscience and the Ignatian principles, but I'm running out of time. The examination of conscience is what we should all do every day, where we reflect on our day. We Marians do it twice a day, where you just walk through your day asking the Holy Spirit to come upon you during your exam and to see all the good uh, you, that you did during the day, to see all the, 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 the mistakes you made during the day, um, to repent from ever doing it again and the grace to not do it again. And we do that in the afternoon and in the evening, and boy, is it an eye-opener. You can really see where you've made mistakes. I, I wanted to go through a whole thing on that, but I'm sorry. And then finally, I wanted to talk about St. Ignatius. Um, this is a powerful tool um, number slide, excuse me, the next slide, the two standards. This is a slide that is St. Ignatius gave to us called the two standards. He basically said, and I think this could be helpful to you when examining your conscience, or excuse me, when forming your conscience to be a good voter. All our decisions can move us close to the Lord or farther away from him. As Christians, we need to prayerfully discern important decisions, he said, and you can put voting in there. Will our choice be for life or for death, for good or for evil, for blessing or for curse? That is each decision you make when you do your Ignatian exercises that you ask yourself. One of the basic tools of discernment in Christian spirituality is this tool. Our own, I said, you know, once we form our conscience by listening to the church teaching and sound information on politics and policies, we need to follow our conscience as we cast our vote. St. Ignatius portrays two ways. You have life or death, good or evil, 
In his spiritual exercises, he shows us how to do that. These two standards, one is of Jesus, one is of the evil one. And each choice we make, Brother Mark said it well one night, he said, it's kind of like you have an angel and a devil. And right now we're in the middle and every choice we make gets us closer to that, to, to Jesus or to the devil. Each choice we make moves us closer to one or the other. So when we are considering our vote, how can we apply these Ignatian principles? And I think if you go through it real quick, you can do this. One, ask yourself, are we motivated by self-interest when we vote, which is the standard of the devil, or by the common good, which is the standard of Christ? Ask yourself, are we willing to change our vote based on learning what the non-negotiables of Catholic Church teaching are, rather than voting according to what will make us feel good or most convenient or comfortable. Next, ask yourself, if we are members of a political party, Democrat or Republican, are we prepared to oppose our own party or politicians if they oppose Christ or the non-negotiable moral principles? Doesn't matter what party you are, we Marians can't belong to a political party, but if you were part of a political party, are you willing to stand up? Are you willing to say, you know, I'm of this party, but they fail in this non-negotiable? Are we willing to vote? Or are we willing to vote our well-formed conscience for the greater good, even if doing so, we will face ridicule, hatred, or contempt from many people. And then finally, are we willing to vote for politicians or policies that will make us even less well off, but by doing so, we can help remove injustices? That's what we have to ask ourselves. So in summary, I found a quote from the USCCB, and I'd like to put this slide up. We just got one to go. This is the slide from the USCCB, 1998. We get the public officials we deserve. Their virtue, or lack of, is a judgment not only on them, but on us. Because of this, we urge our fellow citizens to see beyond political politics to analyze campaign rhetoric critically, and to choose their political leaders according to principle, not party affiliation or mere self-interest. Powerful. What about the Catechism 2242? I'll just read that to you. The citizen is obliged in conscience not to follow the directives of civil authorities when they are contrary to the demands of the moral order, to the fundamental rights of persons, or the teachings of the gospel. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's, Matthew 22. And then finally, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that I have set before you life and death blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life 
that you and your descendants may live by loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. Deuteronomy 30. The culture of life or the culture of death? What will it be? St. Thomas More, patron of politicians, pray for us. And may Almighty God bless all of you when going to the voting booth. If there is a more important civic duty in the last several years, I'm not aware of it. I might be wrong, but God bless all of you. Let us finish with a prayer for our nation, for President Trump, and for Vice President Biden. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit to descend upon our nation and our world, for all countries and all peoples who ever enter into free elections, that you preserve those elections and their freedoms. Be thee on any continent in this beautiful planet Earth. We ask especially in the United States that you bless our politicians, inform their consciences, correct their errors, both Democrat and Republican, that you give them the illumination of conscience to see and know God's will in all things. We pray for those going to the voting booth that they will vote as God's grace illumines their conscience. And we pray that all of us, Lord Jesus Christ, will be faithful to you through practicing our civic duty as good citizens. Mother Mary, intercede for us. St. Faustina, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen, and God bless you. And God bless America. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.